That's literally like the most, like, look over there, squirrel. <laughs> you know, why are you going to get me for stealing when, when somebody else murdered somebody over there? Did you see that murder? Go read about Tether. Yeah. Side note, he's right about Tether. <laughs> Alright, coming up on today's episode, we're going to be talking about scam number one, scam number two, Warren Buffett, and he might not be talking smack this time. We're going to get off topic with a little research for you. The Ethereum Classic Cooperative got a donation from somewhere unexpected. We're going to go around the world and we've got at least one rant, maybe more than one, on this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name is Michael Lockie. I'll be joined today by my two usual partners in crime, Brent Philbin. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm a crime partner. <laughs> and Kareem Baruke. Hello, everybody. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the Friday flagship, this is our weekly news story segment where we like to talk about all the stuff going on in the cryptocurrency space. So, gentlemen... Let's get started. Uh, Brent, do you want to get right into the scams or is there anything else that comes to mind? You know you know me. I love me talking about some scams. And today, <clears throat> apparently I need to clear my throat. But other than that, I am ready to go because there's a couple. And we talked a little bit about this on Tuesday. So you guys know some of this, but it gets better. So here we are. Latest scam. Oyster Pearl. Oyster Pearl was a uh, project that, interestingly enough, had a working beta at one point. But let's let's go over what happened. They pulled an exit scam. They pulled an exit scam a few days ago. It was pretty public. It was pretty obvious. There was no questions, but even the questions that you may have had have been answered. So what happened? Well, they had an anonymous founder. His name was Bruno Block. And this Bruno Block guy kept telling the team that he needed to have dictator control over the smart contract because they needed to adjust the peg. And the peg had something to do with how they were, what their project was. I actually didn't even look into what this project did. So they moved this peg over time. It was some sort of uh, storage peg. Yeah, the the idea that I got from it was it, it was some sort of final... Uh coordinator type thing it was it was one final piece that the owner needed control over until once everything was in place a certain way then the peg could get adjusted and removed and then everything would flow freely in this you know decentralized project i believe that was what it was supposed to be yeah right so so or that Mike, was the story you brought a comparison there to the iota coordinator something that we harp on a lot and this is exactly why we harp on stuff like that a lot because we're not saying the IOTA team's going to do it. We're saying that if they have the ability, that you always have to wonder if something is going to happen. So this guy had the ability to take uh, or to take full control of this contract. Uh, so he did, and what he did was he the KuCoin was the biggest exchange that took Oyster. So there was an exchange KuCoin biggest thing that he could do get the biggest amount of money. Um, they were about to implement know your customer procedures, so it would have broken his anonymity if he wanted to do this on November 1st. So what he did was he restarted the ICO for the contract and just generated millions of coins and put them all to himself. 
Then he sent all those coins to KuCoin, and Market sold them over the course of however long it took him to get caught. Now, he decided to do this at the time that there were the least amount of KuCoin developers active in order to respond to this, so it took him the longest to deal with it. The estimated value was about $300,000 at the time. It's really hard to tell because he also tanked the shit out of the value of the coin, but... It seems like he got about $300,000 worth of other cryptocurrencies. Everybody follow me so far? Because this is what we covered yeah, Brent, on Tuesday. Uh, Mike's more. had a couple of questions. I don't know if you can see the, the oh, hands on the screen. I don't have my video up. But, I'm sorry. Oh, hold on. I get it. I, I'm only on one screen, and I'm not normally on one screen. So I, I, I sacrificed there. I apologize. Thank you for that notice, Kareem. I appreciate it. Um, it's all good. Yeah, and... You know, one, I wanted to go back real quick and just make another point regarding IOTA. And, and the problem that we've had with them is that we've wanted to believe that they're, they're good technology. They're working in a positive direction. They're working to fix a goal that we're all trying to help fix in many ways. But the problem with the coordinator is very similar to what this is. It leaves open the possibility that somebody can change their mind and just completely change the direction of the entire project and take control of the entire situation. I think that is something that you have to leave a sliver of doubt open when something like IOTA is factored in. The other thing that really bothers me about this KuCoin situation is that I am certain um, that if he redid the ICO and he deposited that amount of crypto onto the exchange in order to sell at market prices. Let's pretend hypothetically that he resulted in having about 300,000. I'm going to assume that was probably originally over $500,000 worth of Oyster Portal tokens. You mean to tell me that an exchange the size of KuCoin doesn't like always monitor the activity of somebody with like a $500,000 deposit, like, and that he can just move a 500k deposit in and a 300k deposit out within a matter of like 30 minutes without nobody thinking to look into that. And not to mention how many of the tokens did he actually deposit? Let's say he opened this, he redid this ICO. Was he smart enough to only deposit like a realistic amount of the tokens and he was left with another, I don't know, 90% of the total's original supply? I don't know. There's a couple weird questions here for me. Well, one of the things that I would say for sure is that uh, is is that Binance may have caught this because they have some really advanced algorithms for how they catch this kind of thing. KuCoin's still new. Like, I mean, I guess Binance is still new, but they just had so much money they were able to push themselves and and create some of this stuff. I, I feel like you would have been caught on an exchange like Binance quicker, um, or at least his withdrawals would have been frozen until they figured out what was going on. Uh, but uh, like I said, he specifically did this while KuCoin was asleep, basically. Like, he did it when it was going to be hard for them to catch it. So if you're asking humans to catch stuff like this or deal with stuff like this rather than an algorithm, then I understand how he got by it. Yeah, but to Mike's point, you know, once you once you're big enough that you know, and I'm sure KuCoin has uh, statistics on this, but they must have a huge amount of trading from all over the world. So if they want to be a serious competitor in an exchange market that's competitive, they should have you know whatever, yeah, some type of monitoring. Um, but real quick, I wanted to say about IOTA guys that I think we should make a distinction as like. The biggest risk with something like the coordinator in IOTA, at least from what I remember from the uh, when we did the episode and everything, it wasn't so much that it provides like an exit. Um, oh yeah, no, they don't, don't have like yeah. 
That is- right, and it's not that they have the dictatorial control that this does. The problem with the coordinator in IOTA is that it's a security layer that the network has not proved that it can operate without. So in some ways, it's less damaging on the teams as individuals, but it's more damaging on the network as a whole because we still don't even know if the network can work without the coordinator. And, and if I recall correctly, you, you did clear that up a little bit for me. I was a little misunderstood, but it also um, – this has a lot to do with where it goes from centralized to decentralized, correct? Right. No, no, no. Agreed. And there's there's inherent problems with centralization, but I just want to make sure, especially since we're using it as an, an analogy and we keep bringing it up, I don't want those lines to get too blurred because it's a different Yeah, problem, we certainly you know? are not calling IOTA a scam. Well, I will also say we don't know uh, the total ins and outs of the coordinator because they've never released that code. That's proprietary. But, yeah, I, um, I, I definitely want to remind everybody that I wanted the only point that I was trying to make is that you have to leave open a sliver of doubt and an otherwise pretty solid project with a pretty hardworking team that's been in the industry for a long time. Now, their personalities aside, you know, that's part of why I want to leave that sliver of doubt open that this might end up having extra problems down the line because of their personalities. But otherwise, I I do agree. I'm not suggesting IOTA is a is a terrible project. I'm just saying it's a red flag. No, agreed. But just to be clear, though, I'm in a way I'm even being more critical. Um, but I'm saying that it's not dependent. Like, yes, David Sustenbob, for example, the director of IOTA, has issues in the way he handles the public, and we don't like him in that sense. Um, but what I, what we're saying is, it is it is actually a very big critique of IOTA that they can't operate their network without the coordinator, which they said would be long gone by now. So it's like an even bigger red flag. But it has very little to do with whether or not the developers would steal from the community as much as it has to do with can you even have a secure network without centralized control? Bitcoin has proved it. Ethereum has proved it. IOTA has not. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to on it. Let's stop, let's stop bragging on IOTA. I'm actually going to like talk about them at the conference and say they're cool. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I listen, I feel bad for all the bag holders here, uh, but it was interesting to look into their subreddit and see like, oh, guys, this is just like a hiccup in the road. Like we still believe in Bruno's vision, even though he's little, he might have done something wrong here. Like <laughs> the coin is still good, blah, blah, blah. All right. So that's where we ended on Tuesday when we did our little chat on Tuesday. It gets better. There is more. There's more here. I didn't put this in the actual chat. I, I, I uploaded it and put it into a separate picture because Bruno went into the telegram of Oyster and started talking shit after he did this. So, he, I'm, you know what? I'm just going to read this like word for word. I can't remember what the awesome parts were, but just cringe if you want to. This is great. When Oyster boomed in December... I wanted to go on a huge hiring spree. I was always very product-focused, but people only wanted to hear about marketing. Chris Bomber approached me with Bill. Bill turned out to be an honest, hardworking guy as CFO. But Chris did next to nothing. I paid each member of C-Suite a million pearl each, which was evaluated at half a million dollars each. Chris bailed on us for the exponential hiring. Why was I so pushy about hiring? Because I knew Bitcoin and all of crypto was in a bubble. I sold a lot of my own pearl and pearl for the treasury, but Bill preached hesitation instead. Then Ethereum went from 1200 to 200 It became difficult to keep hiring people. My plan for a large, robust team of developers was blocked. I spent downtime to start healing from trauma I was going through. All right, so now we're on to the, uh, oh, no, I've got trauma. 
<laughs> then Bill told the group that we got accepted on Binance. That's when the problem started. The price immediately started pumping from $0.04 cents to $0.26. Cents. I warned Bill against insider trading. He didn't care. So instead of him and his VC friends dumping on you, I dumped on him. I advise all of you to get out of crypto. Go educate yourselves about what's happening with Tether. The entire crypto sphere is a giant Ponzi scheme. I warned all of you multiple times in private and public. Nobody listens. Ethereum is going back to $5. If you want to sell back to a greater fool, then you will only find yourself to be that fool. He puts in a he puts in a link to twitter.com slash bitfinex. Puts in a link to reddit slash buttcoin. Then he says, what will happen now? Number one, Bill, you're fired. He fires the guy who's the CEO. Two, I'm going to reprogram the protocol on my own gradually. If someone wants to help me, they can do so free of charge. No marketing, no nonsense. Pearl will still be a valid token used <laughs> by the protocol. I reject the Binance listing, and I don't want KuCoin to reactivate our listings. Focus on the storage peg. That's what brings value, not your Ponzi shenanigans. And there's more. Well, the reality is that this is he's clearly the good guy in this whole story. Always. Everybody's always the hero of their own story, right? So yeah. uh, just to sum that up, he fired the whole fucking team, which apparently he can still do because he has 100% control over everything. Uh, he plans to keep going with Pearl. Apparently he hates crypto. Uh, the, the CEO actually, though, as there's more um, to this, this is in a Medium article that the, C, the ex-CEO, I guess he's not the CEO anymore, released. Uh, I think he might know who this is. He's He was saying down at the bottom, he's like, we are pretty confident we can identify him. We can't put out the information as to why we can identify him, but we think we can. So uh, the, the update is in the show notes. There's another four screenshots full of this guy going back and forth telling everybody he's he's doing this for his family because the world's going to end, basically. He's like saying there's, there's going to be a recession that we're never coming back from. Uh, Bitcoin's going to be $20. All the banks are going to hold on to your money and they won't give it to you. So he had to do this to protect his family and we they should I, all do the same thing. Brent, I also noticed that he used your favorite technique, which is basically whataboutism. He essentially pulled My the scam. My favorite technique. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you love calling it out, I mean. Not that you use it all the time. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, like his... I, it just tells you right there. It's not even about the issue at hand. He's kind of sidestepping from the fact that he stole a bunch of money from the network by saying... They were going to do insider trading, number one. What about Ethereum? What did he say? What about Ethereum? What about Tether? Go look at Tether. I mean, <laughs> that's literally like the most, like, look over there, squirrel. <laughs> you know, why are you going to get me for stealing when, when somebody else murdered somebody over there? Did you see that murder? Go read about Tether. Yeah. Side note, he's right about Tether, but it's funny <laughs> because that's what makes it funny, though, because right, it's, it's like a convenient it, argument. Yeah, that's why people like that actually have good strategies because if you can use – ah, man, I hate – usually it's Brent that brings up – let's just say politics in general. If you're like really uh, believing in somebody, it's more effective if you tell them a lie that has a little bit of truth in there and they can go and find that truth and then be consumed by the narrative that you gave, right? So here this guy is just like – if he tells somebody, go read up on Tether, and somebody actually follows up on that and sees what a scam Tether is, it's it's almost like he's distracting enough, or like he's telling the truth. Yeah, what does that have to do with the fact that you're a thief, you piece of shit? Jesus. Yeah. But wait, there's more. There's oh, still more to this story. So there was actually, uh, this is more of just like a uh, a kind of a good tale. Uh, not good, I don't know. Just do your research, and this is what can happen. 
a Reddit user called this project out as a scam four months ago. Uh, Not only called it out, but he provided facts. He provided reasons. He got into an argument with Bruno on Reddit about this, where Bruno started attacking him. And the first thing that he did was point at other scams. And so he said, you literally take a large amount of your time to protect people regarding Oyster, but you don't want to look into any of the other projects? Let's get real now. Your response history regarding crypto is pretty heavily poised towards warning people about Oyster. With the number of scams out there, I would think it is also important to focus on other projects, no? (laughs) Yeah. And again, that's another perfect example. Go look at other scams. He was attacking him. He's like, all your posts are about this. And the guy that was explaining why it was a scam was saying like, yeah, because I already put hours of research into this and I discovered that it's a scam and I figured people would want to know, you know what I'm saying? But like anytime you're seeing an argument where people are just pointing to everything else and they don't want to address the issue at hand, that person's being deceitful. Yeah, so there's a lot more to the post. We'll post the screenshot in the show notes. But basically this guy, he very calmly breaks apart Bruno's arguments and is like, yeah, this is a problem. This is a scam. And, uh, you know, if you if you look at these posts now, people are always going to write them off as unsubstantiated FUD. They're like, oh, you're just fighting. You're just trying to – you're one of the people who's just trying to sink the project. But if they provide facts, they provide evidence, and they provide reasons for what they're saying, it deserves a, another look. It deserves you know, a, a, a look back into that. I remember there was a post a while ago that accused IOHK of stealing um, Dan Larimer's property, and they didn't respond by saying, oh, yeah, well, what about BitConnect? <laughs> and what about blah, blah, blah? <laughs> no, they responded with a blog post that had direct <clears throat> link to their paper explaining why it wasn't the first, the same terminology. They addressed his theirs explained why kind of a different response so as you can see in the outline i wrote something else down here i'm gonna read this verbatim i'm not fucking finished motherfuckers i'm doing my own transition we're transitioning into yet another scam and it is attached to this one (laughs) okay i'm gonna bring this full circle all together we're talking about multiple scams and we've brought this coin up a couple times in episodes, and here's one of the things that I've said. I've said, I'm not really ready to call this a full-on scam yet. We haven't done our research, you know, whatever. I am now willing to 100% say Substratum is a fucking scam. I am. I have done enough research that Substratum is a scam. So I'm going to sum up what we know. Order, order. Yeah. That is a wild accusation. Prove your case. We're get, we are Present going your evidence. to do that. So... I'm going to go over what we've covered so far about Substratum. And I'm not even going to talk about that one little screenshot where somebody threw out a bunch of shit that we didn't know, like, what they were talking about, right? So, uh, we've been talking about them for a couple of weeks. We talked about them a long time ago, and I didn't actually connect the two until recently. First, we talked about them forever ago as being a project that was running a second ICO. And then we started to kind of, like, make fun of the fact that EOS might do that. I didn't realize that was Substratum until I got into the weeds of this recently. So the creator put himself on a fake magazine. You'll remember that from a couple of weeks ago. The creator has been arrested for some reasonable things and some unreasonable things. He want, The one that was breaking into a house and assaulting somebody was probably the unreasonable one. The creator probably, possibly lied about their partnership with the National Christian Foundation. Now, we think that's a lie because the CFO, or I'm sorry, the CFO, the uh, the the VP of something or other, had no idea what the, it was something financial. I can't remember his title, 
but they had no idea w- about somebody important in that organization. Somebody who would have known if they had a partnership. They said they don't have any exclusive partnerships in cryptocurrency. Yeah. Like that, done. it was very clear. <laughs> um, and at the time, there was some question as to whether that post like reached out to the right person. I reinvestigated that post. It absolutely reached out to the right person. There is no substantiated proof on the NCF side that they have any working relationship, partnership, anything. So, um, new for this week, which we talked about on Tuesday, is that the same person won three of their 17 giveaways, which was a little bit shady. It wasn't full-on Walton chain fake, but the odds, if we're being most generous, Samsung Galaxy player on Reddit figured this out, the most generous we could be was 1 in 24,000 chance, which is possible. Yeah, the original title of the of the post was like one in twenty two billion chance. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, so so when it's when it was titled as a one in twenty two billion chance of of this person achieving this results, then yeah, we were a lot more skeptical. One in twenty four thousand is extremely unlikely and very coincidental, but it's much more possible, obviously. Well, you know, a good way to interpret that sample size, I would say, is does the entire cryptocurrency market have 24,000 projects? And if the answer to that is no, which I believe the answer is no, I'm I'm sure we have probably multiple thousand coins, but I don't think we have 24,000 coins. So let's say that we have even 2,000 coins. That really means that there should be a less than one in 12 chance that any coin running this or something like that. Well, I guess it would all have to run the same contest, so that doesn't apply. All I'm saying is it's unlikely enough that we shouldn't see it. So the fact that we saw it is... Yeah, the most generous that we could be was one in 24,000. So that's that's still a very pink flag at best, a red flag at worst. So A white flag that was uh, laundered with red clothes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we've all done that before. Oh, my God. Yep. So I, all right. So I told you I was going to bring this back to Oyster, right? I, Allegedly. I, I said that they were connected. They're not just connected because they're scams. All right. The smart contract for substratum is extremely similar to the Oyster smart contract. For, so let's let's talk about one of the things they did. They had a coin burn party, which coin burn is a very normal thing that happens in a lot of different projects. There's two ways to do it. One, you can send it to a 0x0x zero x, zero x address, or two, you can... Uh, you can call a burn function to the contract and actually have the contract incinerate the coins. Not that they go sit in a dead contract. Uh, this guy's coin burn party, Justin here, he did it on YouTube and he sent the coins from one wallet to another wallet that he totally doesn't have the private keys to. Definitely, totally does not have the private keys. And I'm even going to say it doesn't matter that much. As stupid as that is for him to have a burn party, he did it twice. Uh, sending some coins from one address to another. Hold on, just for for YouTube extra credit, I want to do a visual representation of what that looked like. The guy went like this. He said, oh, I'm going to get rid of my phone. (laughs) 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 And it's gone. It's gone. Very important. The reason they didn't send the coins to 0x0x or whatever, or 0x0000000, the coin burn address. They didn't send it to that, and they did not have a burn function because it's a copy paste of a coin called uh, skin coin for the most part. Not like in a nefarious way, like they copied the code and they did some things. Um, and there is no burn function in that code. Now, we don't know about their code because this project says they're open source on their website and they don't have an open source location. They don't have a GitHub. So they say they're open source, but they're not. 
yet. Oh, it's totally coming. Don't worry. I'm sure, right? But what we can find on the smart contract also, so what happened on Oyster was they just minted a bunch of new coins and went and went for it, right? By restarting the ICO. Substratum doesn't even need to do that. They can create an infinite number of coins with a function built into the contract. It doesn't even cost them Ethereum to call the function. They can do it for free. At least, at least the guy who did it on Oyster, Bruno fuck, did it with he had Ethereum. to pay gas fees and pay, pay mi- paid miners. They don't even have to pay. No, he had to pay the uh, the listing fee for like a new ICO. Mm. Basically, they didn't even have to do that. So their response to the allegations that this is a problem are like it's right there in our white paper. It looks like the white paper was written after the allegations, and they replaced the old white paper. There are two very distinct clear different white papers and the first time anybody ever started referencing it was after the original allegations that this coin burn thing was a problem and also that the infinite coins were a problem (laughs) further they have the ability to freeze any substratum account so you know you can have the different pros and cons for that but they didn't even freeze the coins that they pretended to burn like they actually have a function where they could be like, yeah, we're just going to freeze these forever and make it a little bit more legitimate. So they legitimate. can't burn them, but they pretended to burn them, but they could freeze them, but they just chose not to freeze right. them. Right. Different temperatures, they chose neither <laughs> one. They chose lukewarm. They could have frozen, they could have burned. No, nothing. Well, coins at room temperature are significantly superior. <laughs> <laughs> so the response in their community, now I went into their community to see, like, because this gained a lot of traction on Reddit today. Basically, the top comment was, hey, let's we should do this more often where we do real research rather than FUD and actually provide uh, the evidence and do it in a thread. And they're talking about, they're like, Monero does that all the time. They do Skeptic Sundays. Like, they really do, like, try to talk bad about Monero for a little bit or other coins and the, and stuff. So, so the community was being extremely reasonable about this. Not so much the substratum community. You go in there, it's paid fudsters that are going around spreading misinformation that are just trying to ruin us from the team. By the way, that was from the team, not just the, the random Redditors. I'll tell you this, substratum motherfuckers. I am not paid <laughs> by anybody to spread this fud. And I'm spreading the shit out of it right now. He's not paid by anybody, period. No, no I don't pays have a job. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you think that I'm being unfair to you and you have some reason you want... Justin, get your ass on this show, man. I, I'll come I'll come on here. I will be nice. I won't even say the F word the whole time. But you need to defend yourselves to somebody who understands how to stand up for themselves. Namely, us. <laughs> yeah, you big bully. Bully. All right. All of the links to everything that I just said are in the show notes. This is all researched. This is not a this is not off the cuff. I left all the off the cuff stuff out. You can find a lot more if you want. Uh, get the fuck out of Substratum. Don't donate to their new ICO. Um, but of course, we're not giving financial advice. Seems fair. Thank you, Brent. That was as elaborate as you alluded to early on. <laughs> and uh yeah, it's it's pretty freaking amazing. Like we we talked about this early on how we expect a vast majority of projects to fail or screw up or or ruin themselves and and watching it unfold is really frustrating and you know, unfortunately, this is why you got to you got to keep keep your head in the game, you got to pay attention, you got to invest carefully. 
do your own research, do the levels of research. I mean, when we talked about that, uh, the oyster contract, the ability for this guy to do this was actually on the contract. If somebody had looked at it, they just didn't look at that function and the function was just set to false. So it could have been seen. You could like, even the guys who were saying this is a scam for these reasons didn't notice the literal smoking gun sitting there. Um, the stuff surrounding people have. So, uh, yeah, get, get out, go away, do it. Done. I'm done. I'm, I, I don't even have anything for the rest of the episode. I spent all my time going down this rabbit hole <laughs> and I don't, uh, that's it. So, all right, Brent, I'm going to give you a little bit of a break here. Kareem, are you ready to get on the topic of Warren Buffett? Well, I have a question for you, Michael and Brentimus. Are you guys ready to play a game of bullish or bullshit? Still oh, a working man. title. Still a working title, by the way. I'm totally open to changing that, but I've become this is becoming a theme, I think. I like bullish or bullshit. I, I like the idea that everything that we read, every headline we read is can be a lie. So I like playing the game. All right. And, and what is the title the exactly? The title of the article is has Warren Buffett made a U-turn on crypto investments? Don't try to read ahead. I, no, I won't play because I read the article, but uh, I didn't read it. Bullshit. Yeah, it, it, I I thought it was bullshit when I saw it, which is why I read it. But, um, All right, then let's get it right into it, gentlemen, and I'll give my final review at the end. So, as you guys know, he's been pretty cool. He's been pretty critical of cryptocurrencies in general. He's been particularly critical of Bitcoin. So Warren Buffett is not a big fan. We've even talked about how he himself has said that he doesn't understand technology that well. That's why he never really invested in the uh, Amazons and Googles and Facebooks of the world. Um, but he's still done pretty well for himself. So anyway, where does this article come from and where does it go? Well, his firm, Berkshire Hath Hathaway, right, the big investment company, has started investing and apparently that perked the ears and the uh, Sherlock Holmes in the cryptocurrency world are starting to have their suspicions. So Berkshire Hathaway is doing two $300 million investments. So $600 million total. The first one is $300 million going towards an Indian company called Paytm. And it is apparently the largest mobile payment service in India. And then the second company is... $300 million going for an initial public offering for a Brazilian company called Stoneco, which is going to try to be a payment processor in Brazil. Neither one of those are cryptocurrencies, but neither one of them are ICOs. So why are people saying like, oh my God? Well, here is a um, quote from the article. This investment, atypical for Berkshire, was made soon after Brazil's largest brokerage announced that Bitcoin and Ethereum exchanges are soon to be launched in this country. Many have found it to be quite curious that Berkshire would invest into a fintech firm in a country that is about to start actively dealing in cryptocurrencies. So, to sum up the article and the connection, Warren Buffett made an investment in Brazil... And somewhere else, separately, unconnected <laughs> to this, somebody announced that there's going to be Bitcoin and Ethereum in Brazil. Therefore, Warren Buffett is bullish on Bitcoin. Clearly. The rating of the... <laughs> the rating is bullshit. This is a bullshit headline, guys. There's no... As a matter of fact, I would argue quite the opposite, that by making very large investments in traditional payment processing companies, 
Warren Buffett is kind of putting his money where his mouth is and trying to get a dip into the fiat market, the PayPal type market, the you know Venmo and stuff like that in developing markets. He's trying to move move ahead of the curve into a space that he thinks is going to be profitable and probably not about to be cannibalized by cryptocurrency. Now, I'm not saying that they reached those conclusions. I'm just saying you could draw the opposite conclusion from the investment. We have no information. This article is trash. When we do this bullish or bullshit and we come up with bullshit, we should like replace it with a real title, right? So what should this title have been? Uh, Warren Buffett Investment Company Makes Investments. <laughs> yep. That is exactly what I was looking for. Perfect. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything to add here. It's just a very – it's just such a weird like line to connect. Like I, I understand like it, it's not impossible to say that the largest mobile payment service in India – isn't going to add the features of Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc. There's no. I'm not saying that's not possible, but it's there's so many mobile processing companies that don't have it. Like I'm, I'm sure there's there's significantly more that don't have it than do have it. What what is it? Five percent? You would guess maybe. I'd I'd say it's probably less than that. Like I don't. It's just like a re, such a weird like decision to make. India is already very anti crypto, and uh, and. And it, Brazil, I believe, is too. And they, you know, yeah, I don't know. This is. But so. Brent, but Brent, you're missing again. Somebody in Brazil said that they're going to launch a business that has Bitcoin. In Brazil, that's the same country where it's, Warren Buffett invested some money in. That is true. Would, would, you know what? Are you saying that there's other well, companies in Brazil? It's not like Brazil? it's a big country or anything. I no, mean, you know, like, no, there's only so many no. places in Brazil, that right? That's exactly. a South American place, right? So it has exactly. to be pretty small. So maybe like these guys were at. Christ the Redeemer just like having a chat because that's the only thing in the entire country that and they were like maybe yeah. they even did a whiteboard like right there on it and they're like okay now that Warren Buffett invested in us we're gonna go get some crypto <laughs> alright Kareem bullish or bullshit researching the deepest corners of the ocean bullish on science this is a <laughs> this is a off topic storyline that I just wanted to throw in here I thought it was cool you know we've done a few like these uh, throughout the, the year um, alright so it turns out, guys, I'm sure you've heard this before, that in many ways, we know more about outer space than we do about the depth of the oceans, because it's actually so much harder to travel there. So there is a submarine mission called Five Deeps, and their goal is to go explore Not each to be confused of the world's... with the Pornhub video, Five DPs. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. <laughs> Thanks for yielding your expertise as usual. <laughs> uh, anyway... So they want to go map the bottom of the ocean floors and they make some interesting points. So this entire expedition is bankrolled by a super rich billionaire, uh, which seems to be a theme. And again, this that's one of those things that I'm like semi like, ah, is he Japanese? I wish. No, no, this guy, his name is Victor Vescovo. Um, and uh, yeah, it's he invested in this $48 million submarine called the Triton 36,000. Now, we're going to get a little bit more into the Triton 36,000, but real quick, they did a cool comparison and they said, imagine going on a mission so far from humanity that any message you send takes seven seconds to be heard. And as a reference point, when we were communicating with the Apollo mission, that took two and a half seconds to communicate. Damn! (laughs) So, the submarine is a two-seater, He's going to initially go by himself, but it's basically this millionaire or billionaire, uh, Victor Riscoso. Wait, and the scientist he's going to go? Like, yeah. he like. Oh, so this guy's thing is he apparently went to a bunch of the peak 
of mountains too. And he wanted he he's like bankrolled this and he, man. He's going down himself. He's an adventurer. That's what he does with his money. So wow, what a baller! Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's a two seater. But he's like on the first couple of missions, he's going solo. He's like, yeah, I'll let the scientists join me a little later. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, like you know, there's a lot of ways this mission could fuck up. And I honestly, sure. if you want to, you you don't necessarily want to kill two people if one person's definitely gonna die. <laughs> Mike, they definitely go into the fact that they're going to be so deep that rescue missions are basically impossible. Look at this quote. I It gives you an, an idea. Even though hundreds of people have been in space and we've had, I think, close to a dozen people, maybe more that actually walked on the moon, we have four of the oceans have never ha- even had a human being go to the bottom. And in fact, we don't even know with great certainty where the bottom is for four of them. So Yeah, I read that we were like a thousand meters off by one of them that they actually reached the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Where from where we thought. That's that's a lot of Yeah, the the it was actually higher up than we thought. So the goal here is to go in this newly constructed submarine. Now the pressure once they get down there is eight hundred times as much as we have here at surface level. So there's a few cool things about the submarine that are kind of amazing. Number one, it actually slightly changes shape as they go deeper and deeper so that it can deal with the pressure better. So it takes three hours. So it's like Elon Musk's tunnels. He was talking about in LA, how they, how they shape and form around the earthquake shaking. Oh, with the hyperloop. I didn't know that, but that sounds, yeah. Yeah. He he mentioned that in the, uh, in the Rogan video. That's like part of that, you know, the tunnel system under LA. It was a really interesting conversation. Dude, new materials, right, that have the ability to be a little more flexible. Now, the submarine is made of titanium. This guy's an ex-pilot, and he said, I trust titanium, not glass. Um, and then the last cool kind of science fiction thing about the submarine is precisely because we're going so deep and precisely because they're going to be in, like, canyons and trenches, every single part of the sub down to like a very bare minimum is ejectable. So if anything gets like caught in stones or whatever, whatever that part of the submarine is, it could just detach and it could do like into an emergency mode where finally there's almost like nothing left and he would be going back up in like a very um, small portion of it. Like a crab. So Like a crab. Like crabs will rip off their claws if they like get stuck in a spot where they can't, uh, like they're going to be killed. Sure. They'll rip that shit right off and get out of there. (laughs) <laughs> like a crab then. Um, anyway, so the expeditions begin in December. They're going to start off in the deepest part of the Atlantic, which is in Puerto Rico. It's the Puerto Rico Trench. And then ultimately, they're going to go to the Mariana Trench, the deepest point that we have. As a reference point, the Mariana Trench is deeper than Everest is high at its peak. That's the James Cameron one. Yep, yep. So anyway, cool story. Hooray for science. Bullish on science. Let's map the world. And I'm not so accidentally unleash the kaiju. Right. I mean, obviously, I don't believe there's any, like, crazy <laughs> demons underneath the water. But, like, there's certainly going to be many species that we've never seen or heard of or just incredible life. Yeah. They, they actually talked about that they expect most life to be scared off by the submarine because it's so dark and everything like that down there. So, it's going to be primarily they're going to map the seafloor with like advanced uh, 3D mapping technology. And then whatever animals don't get scared, they are bringing special equipment so that they can sample them, study them, all that stuff. So, it will be pretty exciting. You know, and who knows? Nowadays, it might even be like streamed live or something. I don't know. They didn't talk about it. <laughs> with a um, seven-minute delay. <laughs> 
All right, Mike. So here's the thing. As you know, and as we experienced on the first half of the show, if I let Brent talk now, then it's going to be depressing and sad. And we're going to hear about terrible things in the world. So why don't you hit us with something positive to offset how much, uh, you know, scamminess there was before. Absolutely. And this was something that uh, Anthony dropped by in our Discord. Anthony from Ethereum Classic, Anthony Lusardi, one of our one of our good friends of the podcast. And this was something that I was very excited to share with you guys as well when I discovered it. But basically, and I, the title was, I misread the title a little bit. Uh, originally, I thought the Ethereum Special Projects donated Ethereum to the Ethereum Classic uh, cooperative. However, it was actually, we're going to find out, Ethereum it was actually Classic. Ethereum Classic that they yeah. donated to them. And I, I think the story gets a little more interesting than we originally expected. So um, for those of you that need a little catch up here, uh, Ethereum Classic hard forked from Ethereum about two years ago. There was Other a... Way. Ethereum hard forked from Ethereum Classic. <laughs> there was a fork. A there was fork a fork, continued. but it was Ethereum all Classic. Right, right. I was not there. <laughs> there are now there was originally a single ethereum there are now two ethereums i don't know who's the big brother i don't know who's the little brother i like them both equally i'm just gonna leave it at that and one of them is called classic <laughs> <laughs> so in the original ethereum hack the a hacker attacked the dow that kept some of the money there was originally stolen 4.2 percent of all the ethereum that was in play and you know they wanted to roll the the blockchain back and prevent that and the ethereum classic thought that immutability is the most important part of the blockchain and we can't roll back something just because it was inconvenient for us. So that's where these two communities uh, kind of differed. And for the most part, for the past two years, they largely ignored each other. There was, you know, some mentions of uh, little spats back and forth on Twitter. But for the most part, it's been, you know, we respect you guys and, you know, we're going to do our thing. So uh, the Ethereum Foundation invited Anthony Lusardi to speak at EdCon uh, about how they would like Ethereum Classic and Ethereum to work together more cohesively. In return, the guy that that is writing this art article was uh, Virgil Griffith. He's from Ethereum, and he was then invited to the uh, Ethereum Cooperation. Actually, hold on. I'm Ethereum mixing, Classic mixing Cooperative. Up. No, there was a, there was another name for the conference, Ethereum uh, Classic Summit. That's what it was. So oh, okay. Virgil was invited to the Ethereum Classic Summit to speak on a similar topic about how the two can work together more often and better. So what has come from this little agreement? Well, things such as the Ethereum Ethereum Classic Peace Bridge, which is basically being able to broadcast both blockchains on the other blockchain so that there is a bridge that's being built between the two of them. They're also the Ethereum Classic Foundation and Ethereum Cooperative are jointly funding Acroma Labs, and that's what is building that peace bridge. So there's definitely been some uh, you know mutually beneficial things going on. So why did they find 15,000 extra Ethereum Classic to give to the Ethereum Classic community. They were doing a financial sweep of the old foundation wallets and they just found it. And who knows how much Ethereum Classic they had, but they just found a bunch of it and they just decided that, you know what, let's, let's give it to them. We appreciate their hard work. We want to work together. We want to, we, they understood that so many of the developers that are working on Ethereum Classic might want to work on Ethereum as well. There doesn't need to be contention in the space. That's what I got out of it. And the, there was one quote at the end of the article that really summed it up properly. 
And this was uh, Virgil speaking here. And he says, deep down, we'll always love you. The divorce was bitter and the narcissism of small differences will continue to raise its head within our two communities. But deep down, the Ethereum classic community will always be a part of us by both history and vision. Live long and prosper. Honestly, this is such a definitive turn from what we're seeing in something like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, that this is a really important step for this community. These are two very large, very powerful Ethereum com- or crypto communities. And I think working together is a really, really big deal. And we need to look into the language that they used here, Mike. They said live long and prosper. Was that emoji from them or from you? From them. Okay. So, and they used the Vulcan uh, s- salute emoji. So, they are really symbolizing the Vulcans and Romulans were originally two separate, uh, or there's two, two separate species now, but they were originally. This is Star Trek lore, just for those of you that are a little species. lost. So they are back to reunification, and I think that's what they're getting at. They're, they're really preaching reunification here with the Vulcans and Romulans, although they, you know, you know, they, they hated each other for a little while. I have no idea what Brett just said. Cream, did you have anything to add? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking about Star Trek, and that's the reference point here. But the one thing I do want to add, because I actually thought it was one of the more interesting things that they noted as well, is there's a part of the article where he says, here's how we're justifying to the Ethereum community that this is what makes sense, right? Because what you have to be mindful of, what we all have to be mindful of is Ethereum special projects, if they do this sweep... Now they have all these funds that could be used to stimulate the Ethereum network. So they're donating it, quote unquote, to the Ethereum Classic Foundation. And and, and they're, as far as we were told by Anthony, no strings attached whatsoever. You guys could do whatever you want with it. And I think it's important to note, it's not just that they want to bury the hatchet and they want to come to terms, but they specifically said, here's how we want to show to Ethereum our Ethereum community, that it makes sense for us as a network to invest in Ethereum Classic. And then they started listing off like the quality of engineering from the Sputnik virtual machine that was developed by Ethereum Classic, the Emerald platform, and all of these things that Ethereum Classic is developing developing is compatible with Ethereum. So it's it's not just burying the hatchet, it's also Ethereum saying that they see themselves as part of the same ecosystem and personally benefiting as a network from Ethereum Classic's continued development and growth. Yeah, you know what? That reminds me of the very harmonious relationship between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. I'm <laughs> glad they're finally getting on board. Not like this is this is what this is what needs to happen in in these in these scenarios where we've we've developed contention, we developed these different projects. There's no reason that Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash have to sit there and continue to argue over I'm the real Bitcoin. I'm the real Bitcoin. Like they they had their argument. It was over. They're separate projects. Move on and really see how everybody can benefit from this and stop with the bullshit. Let's be honest. Like, how much could Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin communities benefit from mutually beneficial technology? I would imagine there's got to be a ton of overlap there as well, right? Yeah, it's got to be great. Now, it's never going to happen. But there's no, you know. They mentioned narcissism in that little uh, thing there, which I, I'm sure there anybody who is who is that big on anything is going to have some. But it is real deep with Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. I mean, they are that they're not coming together. And if they did, I think it would be great for both communities, and it would help everything involved if they just stopped and just Bitcoin Cash is a different option to Bitcoin that functions differently and that has a different goal in mind. 
So I'm going to say two things for this, for what it's worth. One is I think it's difficult to compare. Number one is we shouldn't be listening to just the loudest voices in the room, right? So it would be interesting to know how much of a divide there really is between, quote unquote, the Bitcoin Cash community and the Bitcoin community and how much is just voices like Roger Ver, right? And the second thing is... Wait, wait. If you just go into their subreddits, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but Brent, you, you've mentioned yourself that these are very heavily curated subreddits from the top down. So it means that four or five influential moderators in either one of those subreddits can determine how the content looks to everybody. So if it's heavy censorship and heavy moderation, again, just a few people could be controlling that. And then I go back to the, like, if you believe... People are people and it's their environments and their incentives and disincentives that create a lot of the dynamics. Ultimately, the relationship between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, I think, is a little bit different and could have more potential for cooperation than a currency like Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash, where it's... Like, it's not as much how many apps, like, if more people built apps on Ethereum Classic that can be used on Ethereum and vice versa and more devices, the network grows, they really kind of mutually benefit in a way that I don't necessarily see. You're right, Mike, there's probably a lot of technology that does overlap, but I don't know. The pure currency seems more, like, what pure currencies cooperate? Does Monero cooperate with Zcash? Does... um. Dash cooperate with Pivot. Does the British pound and the U.S. dollar? Do they act? I don't know the answer to that. I'm asking legitimately. Well, I, I don't know, but th- that's what I mean when I say that it's difficult to compare something that is meant to be a currency well, or a commodity. I'm thinking like Bitcoin. more about like sidechain solutions. I'm thinking more about just the, the way the technology like could interact with the two. I, yeah, I, but, I honestly don't know. But again, that's a, it's antithetical to Bitcoin Cash's solution. Why would Bitcoin Cash? want to cooperate in payment layer solutions when they specifically, their whole reason for being was that they think that the solution is to widen the the block size, right? I was more referring to, let's, obviously there are points of contention, you know, the block yeah, yeah. size limits, there are, there are different things, but I, I'm also certain there's many other features of the code that has nothing to do with that part of it that certainly could benefit both sides, I would think. I agree with you 100%. There's definitely ways in which the communities could help each other. And I think that in certain settings, they would. And I think most people don't feel the way that it comes through online because of the loud voices that we were talking about. But I guess my only point really is when we're looking at, let's say, Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, and then we're looking at these other two communities, I don't think it's as productive to think that, oh, they're just the, the communities are inherently this way, but oftentimes it's the incentives, the structures, the dynamics, the, you know, put people in a competitive environment, they're going to be more competitive. Yeah, I, I don't think that, I don't think that we are condemning them for the way that they right. are. We just, we're just hopeful that slowly, but sure. And listen, I want to be the voice of reason if anybody is listening. And, you know, that's kind of the goal here is we want to be the voices and provide the opinions that we want to share to the community. Like we want to, we want to be critical, but at the same time, respectful. We want to, you know, separate pros and cons, but we want to accept that every project has cons. All that's fine. You know, you, you don't need to be so, you know, dogmatic, so aggressive and just so bashing of the other community. Like clearly no matter what, no matter which side you fall on, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin and Ethereum Classic and Ethereum have all been some of the most significant players in the crypto hall of fame. And, and that's kind of not debatable. So, you know, I don't like when there's contention amongst these types of players because it's largely unnecessary. Peace to all, Mike. Live long and prosper. 
Peace and long life to start that. Damn it. Shut up, nerd. Uh, anything else we want to cover in the news, crypto around the world? Want to move on to the rants, gentlemen? Anything going? All right. So uh, one of the group chats that I'm involved in um, has a friend of mine named Brant, and he did what I'm hoping a lot of the listeners will do in the future. And when I say something stupid, I would like to be corrected on it. So at some point, I've said the phrase uh, 0x is an Ethereum address or 0x uh, is represented by Ethereum or something along those lines. And Brant basically told me the real reason of 0x, why it exists and why I was mis, you know, misusing it to the community. So this is my opportunity. I learned something. I'm going to share with everyone, uh, what this is. So, uh, 0x means it is a, hexadecimal figure that is in a base 16. So now our normal numeric uh, system is a base 10. So we go 1 to 10, 11 to 20, etc. So in base 16, the the digits are represented by 16 options. That's going to be your 0 through 9 plus your additional A through F. So that means in 0x is represented by the following codes that are in that are in base 16. Apparently this is a very basic computer programming feature that says nothing to do with Ethereum. It just happens to be in this base 16 language for the for the Ethereum addresses. So it starts with the 0x to inform you that all of the following is in base 16 and this is the uh public, you know, address for you to use that. Um he said to me, basically, he said, I think you guys are sincere in your efforts to be as correct as possible. And this just stuck out as a basic fact that most coders would challenge. So when somebody says something like that, I definitely respect the coders as having a significant more knowledge on this subject than I do. So I would like to clarify that. He also added a pretty good example, which we always love here. He said, this would be the equivalent of saying SunTrust displays their accounting balances the Wells Fargo way by putting the dollar sign in front of them. <laughs> You know, when somebody puts it like that, I'm going to eat my crow and I'm going to say, I'm sorry, community. This is a significant uh, misunderstanding that I had. So I'm glad that was brought to my attention. Yeah. Well, it turns out we are idiots. <laughs> and I thought the exact been, same thing. I've been telling you since day one. Yeah. I thought the exact same thing. We can't code, guys. Like, we don't know anything about code. So that's where our knowledge stops. Um, I, it sucks because there, there are going to be people who can attack the weakest part of our argument which is always going to be anything related to code that we're just <laughs> which is going to always be the facts yeah yeah so so yeah i i thought legitimately zero x just was something ethereum related so it is uh it is not especially when the zero x protocol exists and like it, there's just many references to it and like the the fact that all ethereum addresses start with that zero x was how i was introduced to it so to me it was just like oh zero x is just this hook that all the ethereum addresses have on everything it's definitely a misunderstanding but that also helps me to know that if it's in base 16 that the zero is never going to be the actual letter o it's going to always be the number zero anytime i can solve that quandary i'm very excited and the x doesn't exist so that's a little bit weird so like they, we can't use X in the base sixteen. So well, that's why it's that's why it's used as it, it's to say that from this point on everything is in. Ah. It's it's that makes sense. Yeah, the X is representative of the uh, hexadecimal, I believe it was called. So or whatever the uh, the actual word is. So apparently that's just common knowledge among anyone with basic coding knowledge. Anyone, Brent. Everybody knows it. 
God. But you sure know the entire history of the Romulans and the <laughs> Spaconians. My Lord. <laughs> I feel like an eighth grade book report just came back to life there. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Re- ready for some mailbag? We got a couple quick ones here. Yeah. Crit basic. Flags your Friday. You listen to the mailbag drop. Where we break down a member's thoughts. Just starting crypto, don't you stop. Keep listening till you hit the spot. All right, question one from early adopter 310. How many different coins in your portfolio is considered to be normal? Brent. I don't know what's... I have no idea what's... So there's two ways to look at this. What What do we think most people have in their portfolio? Or what is... Uh, the number that we think people should have in their portfolio. I don't know that I can possibly answer the second question, but if I were going to set an over-under at the average uh, number of coins that each individual person that has more than zero cryptocurrency has in their portfolio, I would say it's probably like 2.5. I have a, I have a couple issues with this question. Um, number one, I don't look at any sort of investing strategies with a lot of consideration as to, as to how much I'm going to, or how many coins I'm going to have. To me, I like to just consider the total amount that my investment is worth, the total, per- and I'm more likely to divide a couple percentages based on some things. But what I've learned, and I certainly have had a lot of coins in my portfolio at a single time. I currently have nowhere near the amount of had that I used to have. What I learned the hard way is number one, it's very difficult to keep up with that many communities, being involved in a discord, checking for announcements, seeing what's going on, being up to date. That stuff is something that I took for granted and something that I highly regret in hindsight. Um, the other thing is you just can't, you just can't confidently monitor all of your activity if you're too diversified. You, you don't want to have all of your cold storage wallets in these little tiny buckets all over the place. It's just not practical. It's not that not that important to me. How, how many coins do I think you should have? However many that you feel like you can properly keep up with and responsibly manage. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. You know, I also think that um, if you vet certain investments thoroughly i also don't think that there will always be the demands of keeping up with the communities as much i think that the deeper you go into the market cap the more that there is a demand for you to keep up like you're saying mike you know so i mean let's say for example that you put a lot of money in bitcoin or you put a lot of money in ethereum i know i'm sounding like a broken record because this is my thing invest in the big projects right but you put money on bitcoin you put money on ethereum you don't need to be on their subreddit seeing what new update came up there these projects are massive and already have huge momentum that you can rely on. The deeper you go in, the deeper that you're finding diamonds in the rough, then the more it it becomes important to stay with those things. So what is a normal number of coins? Honestly, crypto is already considered pretty high risk. The fact that you're even in crypto, in theory, should be a small percentage of your portfolio. But within that, let's say that you want simple diversification and you want like two currencies, two platforms, I don't know, two or three privacy coins. My guess is between four and seven is plenty from a quote-unquote diversification standpoint. If you're going to go beyond that and it's not just index and it's not significant amounts of money, I'm going to assume it's not significant amount of money because you're probably not an institutional investor. Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking us. So it's a personal individual with their own money. I, like Mike said, four or five projects doesn't have to live. The more you invest in, 
the more you're going to have to keep up with wallets, signatures, communities, etc. Another way to get additional exposure to coins without stressing yourself out would be something like the Coinbase bundle, where it's a, it's a similar, it's the same buying process, but it gives you exposure to all five, I believe, of the, of the projects that they list on their site. And I know Abra has a Bit10, which is a 10 cryptocurrency uh, index fund that could give you exposure to a lot of things with, with a much less stress element. And I'm sure that's going to become more popular over time. Yeah, I still like my answer of 2.5 being the average. Great. And, hey, look, the way I came up with that number, most people probably just have Bitcoin. Some people probably have Bitcoin and Ethereum. But then once you get past that, it's a very small percentage of people, but they also just like buy everything. So that's how we get to 2.5. You didn't prove how you got to 2.5 at all. You <laughs> just explained a bunch of different variables. That's you didn't mention it. a single one of them. Uh, the Big Kahuna asks, when will we see another crypto basic portfolio competition? Ooh. Um, well... I think it would just be another competition that I would win, Big Kahuna, and I would rather come up with something that's a little bit more weighted to letting my uh, co-host over here do well. So maybe we'll make it a no. Uh, I already know it's going to be a fat joke. You're going to say, "Oh, yeah, we'll no. is it a taco eating contest? Is it an ice cream eating contest? Is it a balance? I was going to say, is it a balance of cup on your belly contest? I was going to say a contest." About something else unrelated to food, but you guys have upset me so much that I'm not going to even say it. I can't even talk. This is why I can't do portfolio contests with you guys because you get bitter hey, about actually, losing. It's the end of the episode. I'm going to brag real quick. I was supposed to go on a hike this month, and um, six months ago, I set a goal weight of 275 pounds. I ended up not being able to go on that hike. However, uh, I stepped on the scale two days ago and I hit 277, which is the farthest I've been as an adult. Um, and I'm pretty excited. So awesome. I, hey man, I've been working hard and I feel good. And you didn't have to do the hike, which is a huge plus. Well, I, I, I rescheduled it for next October. And instead of doing 40 miles, we're going to do 71 miles. So, oh, that sounds fun. You know what? Let's have the Crypto Basic 71-mile hike contest. Okay. Sounds like fun. I'll choose Bitcoin private transportation. <laughs> All right. So, it seems like we're coming off at the edges. Did Mike? we answer? Is, is there going to be another portfolio competition? Is there any other games you guys want to play? The like, answer, Big Kahuna, is we hadn't thought about it. But rather than subject you guys to the entire conversation process where we come up with a bet, we could tell you that... It's in the back of our minds. Yeah. If we want to come up with a competition. Legitimate answer is uh, we we need to find a way that would be more engaging. We didn't get as much engagement with that as we wanted, uh, c- especially compared to our listener base. The The actual participation was 0.02% or something very, very small. So Also, what we gave away in prices, no exaggeration, is literally like a month worth of operations. And since here... We don't, you know, this is all just us, then editing and all that stuff costs money. So we also want to make contests where we can do cool prices, but, you know, still make it affordable for us and all that stuff. So, but yeah, we'll eventually come up with something. We've got some stuff brewing. There's, there's a brewing, there's a storm of brewing, something is popping off. Just stay tuned. You'll enjoy it. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Crypto Basic Friday flagship number 44. Today's November the 2nd, 2018. My name is Mike. I was here with Brent and Kareem. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, the members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not financial advisors. Recent scientific studies on portfolio competitions showed only 33% of the hosts on the show were capable of picking a portfolio that didn't lose as much money as Brent. 
Hey guys, if you like us, join our Discord, like us on iTunes, give us a rating, subscribe to us on YouTube. Please do something, we need it.